This is the Big Issues Better Pod. Acting today for a better tomorrow. Just hearing some of the words that are coming out and some of the excuses that are being made, my skin is on fire because at the end of the day, children are dead and people are still making excuses. There have already been more than 300 mass shootings this year in the United States. On May 24th this year, the world was shocked by a mass shooting in Uvalde in Texas. It left 19 children and two teachers dead. Since then, there have been more than 100 additional mass shootings. It is an epidemic of gun violence, according to campaigner Ariel Hobbs. At just 24, Ariel is a veteran organiser. She's the programme coordinator at March for Our Lives, the grassroots, youth-led organisation that has organised mass protests against gun violence across the USA. She joins us on BetterPod this week to talk about the trauma experienced by her generation and how they're fighting back. I'm Laura Kelly, Future Generations Editor at The Big Issue. I lead a team of exciting young journalists from backgrounds that are traditionally underrepresented in the media. Hi, I'm Jade Kabaki and I'm part of the Future Generations team. Being from an African background, I never really felt like journalism was a realistic career path for me because it is a field that lacks diversity. So I'm really happy to be here, especially speaking on topics that I feel like are very appealing to my community. I think it was important to hear Ariel speak because a lot of the time black people voices are overlooked or ignored in conversations regarding gun violence, even though they are the most affected by gun violence in America. When black people are affected by gun violence, as Ariel said, people see it as it's a black um, community problem rather than a problem within society as a whole. Hi, Ariel. Thanks very much for joining Jade and me on BetterPod. Thank you for having me. So on BetterPod, we talk about the ways that we can act today for a better tomorrow. And we're particularly interested when young people step up to build their own better future. So in a nutshell, tell us what is it that March for Our Lives is fighting for? So um, March for Our Lives is a youth-led gun violence prevention organization. And um, born out of the tragedy um, in 2018 that happened at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, High school in Parkland, Florida, um, young people at from Parkland really came together and decided to say enough was enough. Um, a lot of us in the U.S. really thought that, you know, the change in the passage of gun violence prevention legislation was going to come after the Sandy Hook shooting in um, Sandy Hook, Connecticut. And I mean, Newtown, Connecticut, not Sandy Hook, Connecticut. Um, and sadly, nothing happened. And since that shooting in Sandy Hook, so many more lives have been taken. And I feel like young people, we kind of just looked around and we're like, we we had this belief that, you know, the adults around us were going to do what needed to be done to make sure that we were safe. And after the shooting in 2018, we realized, okay, nothing, nothing's going to happen. You know, they're, they're not doing it. And if they, you know, and that's not to say that, you know, they weren't those that tried, but trying wasn't enough because people were dying. And so we realized that, you know, we have a right to fight for our own safety and to have the life that we deserve to live. 
And so March for Our Lives is about empowering young people to stand up and use their voices to explain, to not only explain the gun violence that happens to them and that they experience in their communities, but to advocate for gun violence, for the passage of gun violence prevention legislation so that we can all live in a safer world and a safer society. Wow, what you guys are doing is very important. So you've been involved in March for Our Lives campaign since you were just 20 years old, back in 2018. Tell us about how you got involved I very first found out about March for Our Lives, I think, the way that most of us found out about March for Our Lives, which is the day of the shooting um, in February, February 14th, 2018. I was a sophomore in college <laughs> um, when this all happened, and I was just torn to pieces. Like, I could not continue. I did not go to classes that day. I did not go to classes for the, for the following days, just because I could not understand how we got to that point. And I have always been a person that has been very opinionated and, you know, have a very strong sense of wanting to do what's right. And so I remember being on the phone with my mom and when they announced that they were going to do a march in D.C. And I was like, I really want to get involved. I really want to get involved because this is an issue that is affecting me. My dad is an elementary school teacher. I am terrified that this will happen to him. So between that and me being a young person, I'm like, okay, I need to do something. I need to get involved. I need to do whatever. So I was originally planning planning to go to the march in DC. And then I found out that they were planning one in Houston. So the moment I found out they were planning one in Houston, I instantly got in contact with the other young people. And like, there was a big Facebook group message. And so I joined that and I was like, let me know what I can do. I want to help. I want to help out. I want to get involved. And I kind of spiraled from there. Gun violence predominantly affects Black and brown people, um, communities of color. And, you know, a lot of the co-founders would tell you, we're a bunch of white kids from Parkland. Like, we don't live, we, we don't experience, outside of, you know, the shooting, we don't experience everyday gun violence. And so I really wanted to make sure that I was providing a voice to my community and for folks then, like, for people that look like me. Because gun violence is the leading cause of death for Black children in the United States and is one of the top five leading causes of death for Black women and Black men in the United States. In your own life, had you experienced um, firsthand of gun violence? Because I know, I mean, we're always horrified in the UK at how many people do in America. No, I have been one of the fortunate ones not to like firsthand any person in any people, my immediate family. But um, when I was in high school, um, we had three people commit suicide from my freshman year to my soft- to my um, senior year in high school. And I have friends, close, close friends to me who have lost parents and siblings to gun violence. Um, one of my best friends, one of my closest friends who I actually met through March, his name is Khalil Darden. Um, he just lost his 18-month-old godson uh, to gun violence oh. a few weeks ago. So... Oh, I'm so sorry. That's that's horrendous. So, you know, it is it is one of those situations where I have been thankful and blessed, you know, to be one of the ones that haven't experienced it directly to me. I have so many people who's, who have lives, who have had families torn apart by gun violence. And it is a very real thing. That's why I say gun violence touches everyone in every way. Um it, it is a situation, whether you experience it directly or indirectly, um, whether there's a, separate, a, a degree of separation or not, it, 
it 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 feels personal, you know, because when you truly care about people and you see their pain, and especially you have it's like the pain and then the frustration of like this is so preventable, like this is so preventable. So you know, seeing that makes it very real for me, and it it is a constant reminder of there there needs we enough is enough. You know, there things need to be done. We must create change and we must get change made in these laws passed because people are dying and they will unfortunately continue to die until something is done. Yeah, I mean, I would say from from what you've just told us, none of that seems very far away. So the degree, as you're saying, the degrees of separation, particularly to us in the UK, those still sound incredibly close and incredibly personal. So, you know, I absolutely take your point on that. I, I wonder for you as well, did did a school shooting feel like a real threat to you when you were going to school? Because I, I know for a lot of American kids, they, they talk about that, about, you know, about having been through drills and all the rest of it. Did it feel real? Yeah. Yeah, it did. Still does. I grew up in that era where active shooter drills were just being rolled out and lockdown drills were just being rolled out. And so the way that they're presented, they're they're just wrapped in with all of your other drills. So like your shelter in place, which is like what you do if you have a tornado or like whatever. So it's wrapped in into all your other safety drills. So I never really paid when, when I was younger, I would say going through up till middle school. I never really paid very much attention to it. It was just kind of like, a, oh, it's drill day again. Oh, lockdown drill. OK, it's drill day again. I guess I, I never fully. Like for a while, I didn't quite understand exactly like what we were sheltering in place for, what we were locking down for, why we had to turn off the lights. Why was I told that I needed to hide under a desk or hide behind a bookcase or hide in a closet? And then I would say about once I got into high school, it it all clicked. Yeah. Of, oh, okay, this is a real thing. And that's when you start hearing the stories of kids being shot in classes and not even in mass shootings, but like kids dying in schools, schools being shot up, you know, and that's, I would say about the time that I started, that I got into high school, which is around 2012, 2013, was around the time where the the uptick in mass shootings in the U.S. began to happen. And so reality kind of set in very quickly I think I'm more worried about it now than I was when I was in high school. And that is because my dad is a teacher. I am completely helpless if something happens at his school. The fear of an of a shooting is very real. I tell everyone it is if nothing is if if, if things continue to not be done and no legislation is passed. I mean, it's not an if, it's a win. It sounds utterly terrifying to be in in your classroom and doing it, these drills in themselves sound really horrifying. Um, but do do you think that they're effective? Do they? I mean, do they do anything to help if you are in that situation? I think they do nothing but give those in charge a peace of mind, because as we have unfortunately seen, especially in light of the most recent shooting in Uvalde. Um, when we're talking about a school setting, um, you can do as many drills as you want. As much as we try, a door will not stop a bullet. A book will not stop a bullet. A desk will not stop a bullet. You know, so 
you can try and try and try and, you know, you can be as quiet as possible and the room could be pitch black and you could be hiding as well as possible. But if you're in that situation, it is a 50 50% chance that you will be shot at. It, 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 that is a very real possibility. And so I feel like it's right now it's just procedure. So as we just discussed, um, gun violence is a threat, um, a real threat. So what impact do you think the fear of gun violence has on young people in America? PTSD. I think 15, 20 years from now, psychologists are going to research students and kids that grew up in this era, this active shooter era, and understand that there is an added level of PTSD that we deal with. Um, at our march in D.C., we had a situation where someone thought a person had a gun. They did not. They were apprehended by security ASAP. But there was a collective trauma response of people darting in different places, absolute freak out. And thankfully for Erica Ford of Life Camp, um, one of our speakers, she came on stage and helped calm everybody down. And so I think, you know, gun violence has, it completely changed the way that I view safety outside of my house, because my house is the only place that I truthfully feel safe. When I'm not at home, my anxiety is always a bit increased because I know at any time something can happen, no matter where I'm at, if I'm getting my nails done, if I'm getting food, if I'm at the grocery store, if I'm out with my friends, it does not matter. Something can happen. Would you say you feel any anger towards your government or the older generation? Lots of anger. Lot, lots of anger. Um, Therapies help me deal with a lot of it and not letting it, you know, really consume me. But I am very, very angry. Right now, you know, there are hearings going on in the U.S. House of Representatives with, you know, folks from Uvalde to talk about what happened in the shooting and just hearing some of the words that are coming out and some of the excuses that are being made. My skin is on fire. Because at the end of the day, children are dead and people are still making excuses. Coming up, how people of colour overcome the barriers to getting our voices heard. Did you know you can get The Big Issues award-winning journalism through your door every week? As a Better Pod listener, you can sign up to get a four-week subscription to the best in news, politics and culture for just £12. And we'll even throw in a stylish tote bag for free. Go to bigissue.com slash big pod to find out more. I guess the thing for me sitting in the UK that is interesting is we tend to look at it and go, we'll just get rid of all the guns. You know, which is, I know it's a very simplistic way of looking at it, but I think from our perspective, being not in your culture, that's what seems like the obvious response to us. Why is that not what you call for? It's not what we call for because we understand that it's complex, I'm going to say. March, as an organization, we take a holistic approach to gun violence prevention organization. Um, 
I mean, gun violence prevention in general, not gun violence prevention organization. And with that, yes, we focus on legislation, but we also focus on the root causes of gun violence, which, you know, researchers has shown poverty, access to health care, access, you know, to education, stuff like that, things like that create an environment where gun violence is prevalent, you know? And so we as an organization don't want to focus so much on the disarming of everyone as we want to focus on the conditions that make people want to pick up arms and take up arms in the first place. I've seen you talked about how hard it is for a black woman to um, get a seat at the table. So how important is it for March for our lives to have a diverse organization? It is key. You can't truly talk about and achieve our ultimate goal, which is ending the epidemic of gun violence without including the communities that are predominantly impacted by gun violence. Um, Gun violence is not all mass shootings. It is not mass shootings. It is gun mass shootings do not make up the entirety of gun violence. You have inter-community gun violence, you have suicide, you have domestic violence, you have friendly fire, you have all those things. But, you know, the most prevalent form of gun violence in the U.S. is everyday gun violence, is that inter-community gun violence. And unfortunately, that happens in communities, that happens predominantly in communities of color. And so when you talk about ending gun violence and you talk about, you know, wanting to get down to the root causes of what makes gun violence, what what creates an an environment for gun violence and parsing away some of those layers and really getting to the meat and the bones of it all, um, you have to include those who are from those communities. Can you tell our listeners about some barriers preventing um, people of color from getting their voices heard? And do you have any advice on how we can make our voices heard too? I would say the biggest barrier is white supremacy. (laughs) Um, White supremacy sucks and it infects every single aspect of life. Um, And so, you know, using the examples of folks in Chicago, um, one of our board members, one of our youth board members on our board right now is Trayvon Bosley. He's from Chicago. He has lost his brother to gun violence and he and his friends and the organizations that he works with, the Peace Warriors and other organizations like Good Kids Mad City in Chicago have been screaming from the rooftops for years, we need something done. Hey, look at us. Pay attention to us. It's going on here. This is a serious issue. Hello, hello, hello. I have met organizers, some of our elders, that have been organizing, that have been a part of this GV, the gun violence prevention space for 30 years, saying the exact same things that we are saying now, yet because they do not come from the ideal community or they do not look a certain way, you know, or they don't speak a certain way or their names sound different, they're not taken, you know, they're not taken seriously. They're pushed off to the side and, you know, it's written off as, oh, well, that's a black thing. That's that's their community. You know, that's a flaw within them. You know, not that this is a flaw within society. Oh, that's their thing. That has nothing to do with me. But a way to overcome that barrier is uh, social media and phones. Um, because now you do not have to rely on other people to get your story out there. You can put your story out there all by yourself. 
And if you create a following and get a community behind you, then you help push those, y'all help push those stories out. That way you can not get your voices heard. So I say, take it upon yourself. Um, Find folks that have similar stories and that are in community. And even if it's just tweeting about your story, making a Snapchat video, doing Instagram posts, making a TikTok, really utilize social media because as much as people want to say negative in the negative impacts that social media has had, it is really giving people a, a, a level of self-determination of like, I determine how my story comes out now. You know, I determine what people hear about me. And so if you have something to say, you now have a way to put it out there without, you know, having to wait for it to get picked up by a news channel or a radio station or a celebrity or whoever, like you can push that out yourself. And that's actually how us as an organization march. We have found so many of our great organizers from all across the country because they just put their stories out there and we find them and we're like, hey, want to come join? You know, what can we do to help support? You know, and so and by doing that, then you connect, 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 and you continue to empower and uplift people. So social media is probably the biggest thing and utilizing social media to tell your story is really the my biggest piece of advice. For people of color yeah i really agree with that and social media now can bring about so much social change so yeah i think you're right when you say that yeah we finish each of our podcasts by asking our guests three questions and um, to help our readers act for a better tomorrow jade would you like to take it away yeah sure the first question is What's one bit of advice you wish you knew earlier? That I don't have to do it all and that it would all be okay. I can delegate. I can, you know, rely on a team and utilize my team because we're all ultimately working towards the same goal so that, you know, I can not work myself into the ground as a 24-year-old. What's one piece of art that gives you hope for the future? Still Arise, the poem by Maya Angelou, will always give me hope no matter what. Um, If you know the story of Maya Angelou and everything that she went through um, in her life to get where she was and to write a poem like Still I Rise in the midst of everything that she went through, I channel her when I'm in those moments of like, is it even worth it? That's a good one. What's one thing our listeners could do today to make tomorrow better? Prioritize rest. I tell people, you can't self-care yourself out of a burnout. Once you're burnt out, you are burnt out. You're done, tapped out. There's no more. And, you know, especially working in a nonprofit space, us as March for Our Lives, we have to intentionally prioritize rest. In order to make tomorrow better for somebody else, you have to make sure that you're making today good for yourself. Thanks for listening to Better Pod. If you'd like to support us, please subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends. We're relying on word of mouth to bring people into our conversation and to help us all discover how we can act today for a better tomorrow. You can keep up with all the big issues reporting at bigissue.com, where you can also discover how to find your local vendor.